Hi friends, it's Martha Creek, MarthaCreek.com. Looking at the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What on the world? Poor in spirit? Let's think about it from a transformation of consciousness perspective. So from the point of view of our whole journey here in life is to have a transformation of our consciousness. So poor in spirit then designates an inner aptitude, an inner um, capacity, an inner attitude of openness, of receptivity, of that of teachability. And one then is blessed by it because only, only, only in this state is it possible to receive anything, to learn anything, to transform, to grow, to expand. So then think about it then of how teachable, coachable, open, willing to learn, willing to give up your old patterns and beliefs and stories are you. Uh, and a Zen story comes to mind about a young seeker that was keen to become the student of a big master, of an important master, and was invited into an interview at the master's house. The student rambles on and on about all of his spiritual experiences and his past teachers and his insights and skills and philosophies. And I think about me and how I've quoted Charles and Mother Fillmore and what they said and how I can quote Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie and the people of our time, the masters. And in this story, the master listens silently and silently and then begins to pour a cup of tea. He pours and pours, and when the cup is overflowing, he keeps right on pouring. He kept right on pouring, and eventually the student notices what is going on, he says, he interrupts his own monologue and all his outpouring of what he knows already and says, stop pouring. The cup is full. And the wise, wise teacher says, yes, and so are you. How can I possibly teach you? So this first beatitude speaks to that principle. And holds great insights for us as at the center of our own being is a point of nothingness. And at the center of that being of nothingness that is untouched by illusion, by things of the world, holds infinite, eternal potential for each of us. And as long as we're filled with ourselves, transformation is not possible. So don't be full of it. MarthaCreek.com if I can support you. Blessings. This one today is Beatitude number two. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Essentially, then, from a new perspective or even a wisdom perspective of this, now I'm offering these in the context of we're on this journey here in life for a, a spiritual transformation, a consciousness transformation. So I'm presenting from that perspective that then as we look at this beatitude, the second one talks about vulnerability. 
vulnerability, and flow. When we mourn, we're talking about true mourning, not complaining, nitpicking, fault-finding, blaming, and self-pity. But in a state of brokenheartedness, a state of freefall, our heart reaching out toward what seemingly is lost and the longing of that heart. Then to mourn is by definition to live between the worlds, to live between the realms, to practice the wound of love. Uh, Ken Wilbur had written that in a book called Grace and Grit about um, a personal loss and his own personal loss, quoted as real love hurts. Real love makes you totally vulnerable and open. Real love will take you far beyond yourself and therefore real love will devastate you. This is the type of mourning. The mourning is indeed a brutal form of emptiness. And I got back into touch personally with um, the power of the practice of lamenting, lamentations, and how much I had worked over the years to to disregard that, depress it, suppress it, disown it. And I see now that that was an immature and unsustainable approach to this because in this type of emptiness, in this type of field of possibility here, when we can remain open through this mourning and loss and grief, we discover a mysterious something, a mysterious something, um, creator, source, that does indeed reach back to us. It does indeed reach back to comfort us. So this this uh, tentacles of our grief that go out beyond and into the unknown become intertwined into a greater love that holds us. And for me, I can affirm and absolutely assure you that through this process of mourning like this and allowing some time for mourning and grief, not living in it, but taking it as a purification practice that it is to touch directly the substance of divinity, the substance of divine compassion, of flow, of a larger mind, the upper room, so to speak. And tears have been a classic spiritual way to do this. So I say cry, 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 cry. And you don't have to cry alone. God bless you, friends. This is Beatitude 3 today, and it's offered from the perspective of, of likely a new perspective for many of you that study the teachings. And I invite you to listen open-heartedly to that. Number three in the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's how it's most commonly translated. Other translations I found over the years include blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the gentle. And my favorite one of all the translations are blessed are the gentled. Blessed are the gentled. So remember of the passage from the little prince when the fox asked them to tame something. What does that mean? And the prince replied, it means to form bonds. If I tame you, I become responsible for you. 
then you depend on me because I have tamed you. So that's the ballpark this beatitude, I think, is pointing to. Blessed are the ones who have become spiritually domesticated. Those of us that have learned to tame our wild animal nature, our wild animal regressive animalistic reptilian mind, and to, to run that energy different in us so it doesn't take over. So the passions and the compulsions of this lower nature of us have been brought into some kind of uh, domestication. So only when we have dealt directly with these animal instincts that we're wired for, that we all of us have, nobody's immune from it, only when we have dealt directly with our animal instincts and the subsequent pervasive sense of fear, panic, um, scarcity, uh, tantruming, I want, I need, we should, we shouldn't, I don't like that, I don't want that, I won't have that, that better not happen again. Um, those kinds of um, tantruming, egoic, uh, animalistic, regressive patterns, only, only, when they're not so pervasive, are we truly able to inherit, to inherit the earth and a new earth? Um, and if we see it as in the Gospel of Thomas, it's referred to as devouring the lion. Because it's like we either devour the lion or otherwise the lion will devour us. Today's is the fourth beatitude, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So the key to this fourth beatitude lies in understanding maybe that the word righteousness has various meanings. What does it mean to you, righteousness? Those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. So to our post-Puritan, post-Victorian ears, it also means it's a synonym for virtue. It means being moral, behaving correctly. But in earlier times, anxious times, righteousness was something much more dynamic than that. So think about it if you can visualize it as a force field, an, an energy-charged sphere of presence, of holy presence, to be, quote, in the righteousness of God as the Old Testament would refer to it. So there's nothing subtle about this experience and, the, and its fierce nature as a bond to think about then um, the, the current of even a, an, electrical wire, an electrical wire. So to hunger and thirst after righteousness speaks then to an intensity of oneness, an intensity of connectedness. And in the teaching we're promised that when the hunger arises within us to find our deepest aliveness within God's aliveness, when we um, tend that, when we follow that, when we uh, use that impulse, when we meet that, our own deepest aliveness within God's aliveness, it will be satisfied. And in fact, the hunger itself is assigned 
a sign that the bond is already in place. The hunger itself is our impulse to satisfy that. So as we continue down our path of transformation, the most valuable thing we have working in our favor is this yearning. Is this hurt, uh, thirst and hunger? Some would even say that the yearning that we feel for God is actually coming from that, from God. In fact, it's God's yearning for us, for me. The eye within which you see God is the eye in which God sees you, Meister Eckhart. So what are you yearning for? What if it's yearning for you? Quench your thirst. Quench your hunger. No more waiting. Love to you all. Hi, friends. It's Martha Creek. This is a series of a second look or a 10th or 12th or 100th look at the Beatitudes, the wisdom of Jesus and the teachings and transforming our heart and mind through new perspectives, perhaps new perspectives on the message. We're today on Beatitude number five, which is blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. In this beatitude, um, Jesus again reminds us about the idea of flow. And to return to that idea of flow, noticing that there's an exchange going on here. So if we give mercy, we receive mercy. If I give mercy, I receive mercy. If I want mercy, then I must give mercy. This is not coincidental. For the root of the word mercy comes from an, um, an older term, mer, M-E-R-E, mer, which also gives us commerce and merchant. It's actually then about exchange. So usually we think of the mercy of God um, when we pray, like a divine intervention of some sort, we pray, Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, give me mercy. Lord, have mercy. We also pray that prayer, some of us, as a confession. A confession of our own weaknesses or dependency. Because certainly these qualities are distasteful to a lot of moder- modern people. Lord, have mercy. That prayer has currently gone a little bit out of style. But in this understanding, in this new understanding, that mercy is not something God has. It's not something God's going to dole out for us if we plead and beg and beseech God enough. But it's something that God is. So God is mercy. God as mercy versus God has mercy. And then exchange is the very nature of the divine life. The exchange is consciousness itself. Um, according to neurological science and all things that share in a divine life through participation are fully in that, both giving and receiving in that participation. So giving is receiving as an energetic frequency, one that we're aligned with, one that we're part of. And even though we can't even do something about it, like it's the nature of things. So all other approaches to energy exchange will cause a disconnect. It's going to cause disharmony in our life experience, a breakdown, if you will. So maybe Jesus 
This is what Jesus knew as well and was teaching us in this beatitude. But it invites us into a deeper trust of that flow. Exchange is at the very heart of this understanding that there is no separation. We are one. Mercy as God. God is mercy. And when I receive it, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Then I can offer and be and express mercy as well. All right, new beginnings. Love to you all. And today's uh, topic is Beatitude number six. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This may well be the most important of the Beatitudes from the perspective of wisdom that it has and, and invites us to. But what is purity of heart? What is purity of heart to you? This is another one of those concepts that has been distorted over the years, certainly in the, um, the morality-oriented Christianity of the West. For most people, purity of heart would almost certainly mean virtuous. It would be roughly synonymous with chastity. But think about it from a wisdom teaching as purity means singleness. And then another translation of the Beatitude then would read, Blessed are those whose heart is not divided. Blessed are those whose heart is not divided. Or blessed are those whose heart is unified whole. And even feel the difference of that. A single heart. And when the heart becomes single, that is when, the, when its desire is one thing only, when it can live in perfect alignment in a resonant field, um, then we see God. And to the degree that we can live in that alignment, in, in that atonement, if you will, that awareness, then seeing God is much more uh, achievable. This does not mean then that God is an object, but rather I see through the eyes of non-duality. So then as I see God, God sees itself. God sees itself as me. Whoa. What if that's true? Then how in the world can we do this? So just know that it's worth noting that in this particular beatitude, somehow when the heart becomes single, there's rest. So imagine how your heart would be at rest, a contented heart. Blessed are the heart who is not divided. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessings, friends, as you transform your heart and mind. We're on today's um, Beatitude number seven, which is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So this beatitude follows um, a logical consequence 
of all that has been laid out so far in the previous Beatitudes. When our hearts are gentle, when our hearts are single, one, the purified heart, uh, the heart of purity, the one-heartedness, and gentled. And mostly, and more importantly, when we've tamed our animal instincts, and to the degree that we can tame our animal instincts, and I'm quoted as saying we're just a hair above an animal, then that this is what it says, then only until that carnal aspect of ourself, the lower regressive mind is tamed some, do we have any access to a higher mind, a mind of um, peacemaking. And to the degree that we can tame that, we become these peacemakers. We're no longer uh, swinging our swords and cutting things down into good or bad buckets. The, the simple binary system of filing things is good and bad, insiders and outsiders, and winning and losing. So it's a shift then, a radical shift in consciousness, so that when the field of vision has been unified, our inner being gets to come to rest. And that inner peace and our peaceability flows into the outer world. And only to the degree that we have an inner peace can it flow into the outer world as harmony, compassion, what, what we um, represent. So think about what it is that would bring um, your heart to rest. What would unify your one heart. And what it would be like to consciously choose and to circuit break some of our animal instinctual patterned knee-jerk behaviors and absolutely, absolutely stay above the line in the higher cognitive, rational, innovative, creative, innovative uh, part of the higher part of our mind, in the upper room of our minds, if you would. What would stop you from day? For, for what would stop you today, friends? From letting your heart rest, be unified, and from that inner peaceability, open to flow, to offer that, to express that, and to be that in the world. I know who you are. I know who you are. I know what you are. And I know how you serve. Be that. Love and blessings. This is the last of the eight Beatitudes in this series. I hope that you got to hear some of the first seven. And it's a, t a different take on the Beatitudes, um, probably, for some of us. Um, it's new perspectives, at least on the message. And it's what's guiding me and directing me is my own desire, my own yearning, my own thirst and hunger for the transformation of my heart and mind. And they're offered here to you for whoever's listening to, for, to use in any way that you can and to be open and encouraging and hopefully inspiring you to do whatever is necessary for the transformation of your heart and mind. Today's beatitude number eight, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. 
So how does that strike you to hear that? So I don't believe that Jesus is talking about martyring. And boy, I spent a few decades living out of martyr energy. So you may can relate. But this is not talking about martyrdom or being a martyr, but about liberation, about freedom. And in the Gospel of Thomas, uh, this, this beatitude is recorded there with um, a little variation than what we've heard. And it says there in that gospel, blessed are you in the midst of persecution who, when they hate and pursue you, even to the core of your being, cannot find you anywhere. Can't find you anywhere. Talk about freedom. So whatever this elixir of pure liberation may be, that's what this journey is all about. And it is attained gradually within and then processed and distilled drop by drop, drop by drop, interaction by interaction, situation by situation, class by class, teaching by teaching, drop by drop from the terror and turmoil of an egoic lower mind and egoic selfhood transformed as we learn to let go to let go, let go, and entrust ourselves to divine mercy. Situations of persecution or anything else that shakes us up and shakes and rattles our comfort zone can and will become a great teaching tool only and if we have the courage to use them that way. So I hope the Beatitudes have appeared to you differently with a new idea, a new perspective. And I uplift and bless and offer these eight familiar sayings in this series to the devotion of my heart and to a dedication of a radical transformation of consciousness, mine and that of humanity. And as I continue to embrace these and develop and deepen my own inner receptivity, I hope and know that some of you will, that we offer a willingness to be in the flow and to practice staying in the flow and exchange of that, a commitment to domesticate our animal-like behaviors, and above all, a passionate, passionate desire to purify and unify the heart. Blessings to you, dear friends, and all of your journey. MarthaCreek.com